I'm Michaela Pogner, Associate Editor of Precision Farming Dealer. Welcome to the latest episode of the Precision Farming Dealer podcast. New episodes of this series are available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to get an alert when upcoming episodes are released. Today, I'm talking with Paul Yasa, an extension engineer with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Yasa has been studying no-till farming for 50 years. Over the decades, he's seen technology and how farmers use it change dramatically. In his opinion, technology is a tool rather than a magical solution for every problem on the farm. If growers don't think about why there's a problem and instead focus on what technology to buy to fix it, they could end up doing precisely the wrong thing, Yasa says. In this episode of the Precision Farming Dealer podcast, Yasa explains why he and the University of Nebraska prefer the term site-specific crop management instead of precision agriculture, and talks through the decision-making process for using technology as a tool. Let's join the conversation as Yasa gives a short history of technology adoption within no-till. Roughly 2000 is when technology really started showing up. People who want to buy something in a jug, technology is on their list as well. I want to buy that new attachment for my planter. I want to buy that new black box to put on my sprayer or fertilizer rig or whatever. And uh, the technology, uh, some people call it toys. Other people call it a tool. Other people call it a necessity. It just depends on where you're at on your management. For the farmer who is a um, dedicated farmer who understands his situations, been using systems approach for years, uh, there's a lot of those guys who say, I don't need those toys tinkering around with that black box. Uh, Then on the other end of the scale is there's the guy who, doesn't know the first thing about calibration of a sprayer, a spray rate controller might be the best thing he can buy is because he's going to do a better job. There's a difference in what are your management skills and abilities. Do I need the extra tools to do some of the management that I'm not doing? And I give an example of uh, earlier, I talked about herbicides and weeds. You know, I learned to no-till when Roundup was $100 a gallon. I learned to scout my weeds, learned to select herbicides control the weed problems I have for the specific year for specific field. Uh, there were others who says, well, Roundup Ready technology allows me to buy Roundup. Roundup is now generic. It's cheap. I can spray Roundup everywhere. Well, what's one of the leading stories in your magazine is how do you control Roundup Ready weeds? Some tools get misused. You know, Roundup Ready technology is an excellent tool when it comes to weed control. Uh, but if I use Roundup every day, or every year or every field, uh, pretty soon you find out real fast which weeds Roundup doesn't control. And so again, we gotta start thinking about, we gotta start thinking, just period. Uh, don't buy that black box or buy, buy that jug that's supposed to solve all your problems because again, there's gonna be something that slips through there. And that something is, again, Mother Nature, just an opportunist. We gave it an opportunity, it's gonna slip through there. And I'm not anti-Roundup Ready. Uh, on our university research around the Rogers Memorial Farm, we use Roundup Ready soybeans, but we also have uh, Liberty Link soybeans. We also have the Dicamba soybeans. Uh, when it comes to our soybean herbicide program, we've got three different post-emerge products we use, as well as about three different pre-emerge products we use. It's because we put the product where the problem needs addressing, compared to the guy who doesn't want to manage, 
he buys the same seed trait across the entire farm, uses the same product across the entire farm, and some fields work great and other fields fail. Well, we are trying to do the management such that every field is successful. And I will underline try. We don't always make it, but again, that's where we're learning. And that's where farmers have to do some of those trials on their own, have to learn on their own for their field and their situation. Because again, I can't trust that salesman who is a you know, district sales manager who sells the same product to the guy in Ohio that he does in Nebraska. You know, it doesn't matter if it's a planter attachment or a herbicide or a fertilizer. You know, my conditions are different than Ohio. Right. And it goes so again, back to what you said about people reading, oh, this works for this person, and then ignoring what where that person actually is. Yes, exactly. We have some excellent researchers who will do a research project. They know that uh, field of theirs better than anybody. They've got data um, stacks up for who knows how tall, and they'll present their results, but they forget the next step is how does how does a average user put that to work? What did I learn that you can use? That's where extension has been our bridge between our research and um, implementation, if you want to call it that. Uh, how do you put that knowledge to work? And so again, that's what farmers need to do is they got to think about the knowledge, put it to work. I can hire a consultant to help me do that. I can ex uh, read publications like yours. I can do the research on my own, you know, whatever it takes, but putting knowledge to work is what's important, uh, when it, especially when it comes to adopting the new technology. That's such an important piece of it. And you can be told what somebody is doing, but you have to think about whether it's going to work for you. There are tools out there to be used, but in order to use the tool properly, you have to have the basic knowledge to make informed decisions that just buying this silver bullet, if you want to call it that, is not going to guarantee success. Uh, back up to one of my early presentations on precision ag, uh, there's definition of precision where you can do the same thing over and over again the same. Then there's precision, there's the definition of accuracy. Accuracy is where you may not do it the same, but on the average it is correct. And what I did, this is actually back in the days we're still using overhead projectors. And I put up a uh, overhead slide of a target. And then I put up another overhead on the top of that with a group of peas that were close together and I put them exactly on the bullseye. I said, you know, people think this is precision. Then I threw up another overhead with a bunch of A's on it for accuracy and they were scattered, but if you took the average of them, it hit the bullseye. Oh, interesting. And, and I said, now let's go to production ag. I took my peas and I slid them off the bullseye to the side. Here I'm doing precisely the wrong thing. I said, look at your accuracy. You're still on the average. Yeah, these are wrong, wrong this way this year, wrong this way next year, but on the average you're doing fine. Mm -hmm. And people looked at that and said, well, that makes sense. Then I pulled away the bullseye. So here's a group of peas here. Here's a group of scattered A's. I said, unfortunately, this is farming. You don't know where the bullseye is next year. So now which do you want? A group tightly right here that might hit the bullseye or might completely miss the bullseye or a group of random things that sometimes you hit, sometimes you miss. And again, in my opinion, that's what farming is. Sometimes you hit, sometimes you miss. Now you start throwing in tools. Uh, you know, a tool for us in Nebraska is irrigation. Now all of a sudden my drought 
drops off the scale. You know, uh, now it's a proper crop rotation, so maybe insect problems and disease drops off the scale. You know, we can start using tools to become better managers, but we have to understand how to use those tools. And again, mm -hmm. there are no silver bullets in ag. There's no target in ag because we don't know what next year is going to bring us. And yeah. so we've got to just use the tools and management to do their best educated guess, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> in Nebraska, many years ago, we quit using the word precision ag, and we changed the site-specific crop management. Mm -hmm. And again, I can do the precisely the wrong thing with the tools we have today. Well, site-specific crop management is I can use those tools to identify sites and then manage that crop properly. And so we prefer that site-specific crop management to precision ag. But we've got a new emphasis uh, going on here at the university. We actually hired some packing members to do that. And uh, they're calling it uh, precision conservation. So what they're looking at is, again, I've got that eroded hillside that's not producing. Why put extra money into trying to bring its productivity up? Why not to actually take that land out of production or change the crop? Uh, maybe that hillside becomes a forage grass that requires less water and less fertilizer than corn. That precision conservation is on applying practices appropriate to that problem area uh, in effect to raise the total system productivity and profitability. It's uh, raising profitability because I'm not wasting inputs on areas that aren't going to respond anyway. And uh, in Nebraska, it's probably that eroded hillside or the sandy hillside in um, the Dakotas with prairie pothole soils, maybe it's that wetland that never raises anything because it drowns out, or again, a poorly drained soil in Minnesota, the same thing. You know, maybe there are some areas that should be corn soybeans just because they don't do it profitably. Mm -hmm. Farm programs in the 70s and 80s forced everybody into the high value crops. Well, a high value crop on a poor area is not a high value crop. It's a sinkhole for throwing money. And so again, precision ag, no, not so much. Site-specific crop management, term I prefer. That's hard to tell a farmer to do that because, again, that 48-row planter going across the field, and I've got three hired men. I'm running that planter 24 hours a day. Um, you know, that black box that controls the planter, that does everything the same, uh, allows me to hire you know, the high school student who doesn't know the first thing about farming. And, and again, it's some of these tools are tools. Some of these are technology that cover up mistakes elsewhere, but you have to know what's going on. Again, that's where I go back to, I can do precisely, I can do the precisely wrong. That's that 48-year-old planter planting every acre the same. Might be precisely wrong. Now, we can pay enough now. It turns out we can get row shutoffs, and we can get it to shut off the row here so it doesn't plant that poor spot. But again, now what do you do with that poor spot? You've got to come back and do something else with it. A lot of farmers will look at that and say, I'm not going to mess with that. Well, that's where our precision conservation program is getting started now, is, you know, how do I identify those spots? What do I do with those spots? It's the kind of thinking that we, a lot of farmers just haven't spent the time to think definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Right. And there are a lot of farmers who are keep doing the same thing, same thing, and they hope for something better. Well, 
No, you got to change. You got to make some changes there. And that's where new technology being adopted is some farmers think that's going to make it automatic for them. Well, it's not automatic. It's just a tool. You still have to manage everything else. We'll get back to the conversation shortly, but first a word from Trimble Agriculture. This series features perspective from precision experts on a wide range of topics, and today we have some insight from Jordan Wallace, Sales and Advanced Solutions Technician at Trimble Dealer GPS Ontario. Jordan has been using TeamViewer to train growers on how to use their new equipment. TeamViewer is an app that works with Trimble GFX displays and allows Jordan to see what is on a farmer's screen. He talked with Precision Farming Dealers Executive Editor Kim Schmidt about how training via TeamViewer works. Because of COVID, we started using TeamViewer as a training solution as well. Okay. Okay, so we've you know, for the last year and a half, 18 months, we were told, you know, from the governments and, you know, municipalities and provincial um, MPs and bylaw and that kind of stuff that, you know, you just can't sit in a tractor cab with somebody. We have to maintain that social distance of, mm-hmm. of six feet, right? Well, most of the tractor cabs are only six feet. So how do you put two people in it? <laughs> so probably what six we feet would, tall. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. So when you start looking at, at uh, a grower just spent, you know, dollars on a new GPS system and he needs some training. It's really hard to say, no, sorry, I can't get in the cab with you right now to teach you how to use this. Here's a book. So what we ended up doing was we, we created a mobile network uh, hotspot and our service techs basically carried one with them. If the grower didn't have a smartphone, it didn't have the ability to create a hotspot on his device. And we would put the, the hotspot in the cab, get it all connected up for him, sanitize the entire cab down. And then we would go and sit in our truck and actually train that grower over mobile and team viewer on how to utilize his new system. Okay. And I think that, elevated our overall customer experience quite a bit. Yeah. I think even post COVID, it will be something that we will continue. Um, in a lot of cases, we could be doing that while headed to the next service call, right? So that, that hour of training is something that we can do now more remotely. Um, we, we threw around the idea in the office of creating a training video and we thought that it, it actually undervalued the the Trimble hardware. Um, that that grower would have personalized questions. Every farm operation is different, and it would really need to be it would really need to be something that we catered to. Um, there's so many people that are doing you know here's a 10 minute video on how to use your system. Just watch the mm-hmm. video 50 times and you'll get it. You'll completely right. understand. And it just we didn't want to do that we are in the process of building a training library so that they can, you know, still have their, their starting point personalized training, but then from there they can go and, you know, continue to improve and evolve that learning side of things. Right. So if they, how do I do that again? There's something to go and review. They don't have to call you guys and get charged for it. Um, Exactly. (laughs) But they, but still having that initial here, let me, I'm going to show you step-by-step. I think right. that makes a big difference. I'm going to, I'm going to hold you by the hand a little bit while we, while we walk through this. 
and that that customization and that personalized approach is is making a big a big difference in our in our market i mean it's cut our road time by quite a bit okay. um there's there's a lot of of scenarios where you know we'll we'll either log into the display or or again just fix it remotely right um that visual memory really helps in a lot of scenarios uh being able to say okay this is you know the screens that you need to go to and and this is what you're saying your auto steer is doing or your rate controller is doing so go and change these three numbers um being able to walk that customer through it's it's about keeping things you know completely operational there's there's some scenarios where you know you leave a customer's place they'll they'll change the implement or change something about the operation uh go to a new field and and the system will perform completely different. Maybe it's you know softer ground versus harder ground, tillage versus no-till, um, and it'll need to be fine-tuned and tweaked just a little bit. It's made a big difference on on that side of it to to kind of put things together and, and into perspective. Um, we we download probably 800 to 1,000 acres of drainage design a year um, without having to go to the farm operation or you know walking them through how to to export that data to a usb and then and then go into your house and and attach that file as a zipped folder into an email to then send it to me and then they type the address in wrong and it bounces um it's okay i'll just log into the screen i'll grab the file that i actually need and then i'll send it back to you completely now let's get back to the conversation with Paul Yasa as he discusses how technology can help close yield gaps worldwide. The other term that's coming up now right now uh, quite a bit in university research in particular, and particularly when we start looking at how do we feed, you know, 10 million people by the year 2050, is uh, what they call the yield gap. Uh, people keep looking at the yield trend line, and when you look at the average yields now, it's going up, you know, X number of bushels per year, and you look at the number of people to be fed, it's going up far faster. And people are worried about how we're going to feed everybody. And when you start looking at it, uh, the producer who might be raising 300 bushel corn, he might gain a little bit in yield and raise 320 next year. Those extra 20 bushels are not going to feed a lot of people. But the poorly managed farmer who's raising 100 bushel corn, if I can get into 150 bushel, which is easy enough to do with adopting proper technology, that extra 50 bushel will feed a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And take it even further, the developing countries, uh, maybe there's some region in Africa or South America or whatever, that they only raised 30 bushel corn. If I can get them to 150 bushel corn, now 120 bushel feeds a hell of a lot of people. And so the yield gap is where a lot of farmers need to spend more time. And that's where precision ag, uh, some of these new tools and technologies, is not to identify the high yielding areas in the field and how do you make them better. It is how do you identify the low yielding areas in the field and how do you correct the problems or how do you quit wasting inputs? Mm-hmm. You know, if I've got a low yielding area in the field and it's not responding and I put more and more fertilizer on it, the odds are my soil test is going to show there's more nutrients there than you need. And that's where uh, these new technologies and precision egg, uh, I don't like that term. I can do the precisely the wrong, or I can do precisely the wrong thing. 
is, <laughs> and the, the wrong thing might be, you know, this is that sandy knob in the field that doesn't raise anything. And, you know, I can put on huge amounts of fertilizer and that yield's still never going to come up. And then again, because people are looking at yield, they have to look at profitability. And if I put on, you know, less fertilizer, put out less dollars, and that yield doesn't go up, but it doesn't go down, now all of a sudden that poor spot in the field became more profitable. So when you start looking at yield gaps, there's two directions to look is, are we wasting inputs on areas that we should not be doing that? Or are we increasing inputs because we can bring up that yield gap? Mm-hmm. And again, that's not buying the black box off the shelf that is managing it as a tool to figure out what's going on. And again, there's a lot of farmers who haven't thought that way yet. When grandpa was uh, hauling the manure out of the livestock barn, he knew where that poor spot was in the field. He put the manure there because he knew that was going to help that poor soil, give it some nutrients, give it some organic matter. Uh, What did we do in the 80s? We got rid of some of the livestock on the farm. We went to large scale. We aren't going to take the time to spread that spot special. We're going to spread the entire field the same. Now, all of a sudden, we took a huge step backward. You know, Grandpa's technology was almost better than ours because he thought. Yeah. And that's what it takes. you got to think about what's going on out there. Well, I wish all farmers would have the chance to talk with you because <laughs> I think they would think after hearing how much experience you have trying these different things. Well, after doing this for more than 40 years, working with so many different people and watching times and technology change, you know, those are just some of my observations. I will say guided primarily my experiences in Nebraska, but within my international travels, again, that's where I start thinking about cultural differences and things like that. Yeah, and it's an interesting thing to think about if we as a world need more people to adopt no-till, especially in some of the areas where it could make that huge Um, yield difference, how we need to be communicating these best practices in a way that it will get implemented properly. Yes, definitely. Well, another interesting uh, side note from my educational experiences, I did a conference in Mexico where it was put on by uh, the state of Sinaloa, Mexico, which is uh, near Mazalan and uh, the university there, and they had uh, two days of conference and a variety of speakers. And there was like five of us from Nebraska traveled down for this conference that we were invited. But I presented my no-till concepts, and I showed them the equipment, and I closed on the yielder drill from out of the Palouse. And uh, that was a drill built back in the 70s and 80s. It was one of the most expensive drills of the time, but it's huge. and it was the kind of drill that they would sell to farmers that were farming 10,000 acres to buy one drill and you'd cover all 10,000 acres. And I closed on that. And then the, actually I closed on another one, which was a planter that cost $60 on a farm sale. And he was using that for no-till. And my conclusion basically was you are somewhere between $60 on a farm sale and $240,000 from an ag equipment dealer. And the very next speaker stood up there, and his presentation was using draft animals to pull a one-row planter with a colder. And it was the colder that made it no-tail for him. And he wasn't even talking about concepts. He was talking about 
how the draft animals actually worked better on a firm soil rather than a tilled soil, and how the colder was needed to cut the soil because there wasn't any tillage done. And I'm like, all right, there's a difference in culture again. You know, there's still a lot of draft animals out there, still a lot of hand labor out there, attempts to helping other people bring up their yields. Well, then you think, well, maybe they need help. I visited a farmer in Brazil with a one-row horse-drawn planter who's raising 200 bushel corn. And it's like, all right, it takes you a while to plant that field, doesn't it? And it was amazing for him. Uh, he used uh, herbicides. He was a no-till farmer. And his sprayer was horse-drawn as well. And I'm like, all right, that's different. He had hanging on the wall of his barn was these things that looked like uh, looked like a little bread basket type thing, you know, about 10 inches diameter, about 5 inches deep, had leather straps on it. And I sort of looked at that and I go, what are these for? He says, those are muzzles to put on the horses when I'm spraying so they don't eat the foliage that just had chemical applied to it. And I'm like, oh, this is worker protection stuff. And he goes, yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> And again, culture, it's, you can't just go out and give them the cookbook and say, here's what you're going to do, here's how you do it, because maybe the culture doesn't have that option. And again, mm -hmm. that's where our educational programs have to focus more on the whys rather than the hows. And when you start explaining the whys, then they can get into how do you do the hows for them. Well, it sounds like you've had quite the amazing experiences traveling and seeing all these different ways that people are planting and growing all around oh, the world. The adoption of technology is interesting, too, because, like, uh, I did a couple of trips to Turkey, and it was, like, desolate. But everybody was carrying a cell phone. Here we're running a – they visited our research farm, they saw my drill. They bought a 30-foot virgin for their farm. They asked me to come over there and teach them how to run it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, all right, the drill needs refilling. And the guy I was teaching pulled out his cell phone. I don't know what he dialed, or, but all of a sudden, here is a wagon that showed up being pulled by a tractor with bags of seed wheat in it, but also about six guys. We refilled that drill faster than some of these automatic fill things we got here in the States. Wow. They disappeared going back to whatever they were working on. And I'm like, the technology, the cell phone is here, but it's still manual labor dumping bags. Mm -hmm. You know, where is your technology scale at? And uh, when I do a talk on precision ag, I actually have a picture of a spray rate controller on a John Deere, Johnny Popper as they called, the old two-cylinder John Deere without a cab with a hand clutch. You know, the tractor is, you know, 75 years old, but it's got a spray rate controller on it. You know, what farmer today is out there farming with a tractor that old? Well, he is. Right. He's still adopting technology. Mm -hmm. And so, again, that gives a challenge when you're doing educational programs is where are you in what scale as far as technology, as far as culture, as far as equipment, as far as management skills and abilities. Many thanks to Paul Yasa for talking with me for today's episode. Let me know what you thought about Paul's preference for using site-specific crop management instead of precision agriculture and other parts of our conversation today. 
email me at mplockner at lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441 to share your thoughts. You can also keep up on the latest precision practices impacting your dealership by registering for our free PFD daily newsletter. Go to precisionfarmingdealer.com to sign up. I hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2021 podcast series. For Paul Yassa, Trimble Agriculture, and all of us here at Precision Farming Dealer, I'm Associate Editor Michaela Pauchner. Thanks for listening. Thank you.